Today's episode of The Charlie Shrem Show is powered by Ifani. Enjoy an encrypted SIM card while keeping your same phone number, preventing all SIM swaps, experience military-grade security. For just $99 a month, you get unlimited everything, everywhere, even internationally. I've been on this plan for two years. Secure your line now and get your second month free by heading over to ifani.com forward slash Charlie, E-F-A-N-I.com forward slash Charlie, or use a coupon code Charlie and dive into our stories with confidence. A lot of stuff going on in the world today. Everyone thinks that Bitcoin and, and crypto are quiet from the outside, but from the inside, it cannot be more busy, the amount of like activity and scaling and growth. But if you're just joining us, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where together with me, you, our multiple of guests and everyone involved, the listeners, everyone who's left such amazing reviews over the last couple of weeks, especially so appreciate it. I'm going to read some of your names and stuff later on in the episode. So thank you for doing that. We truly understand how this movement came to be and, and where we are right now and, and where we're going, what's being built, who's going to these conferences, what are they talking about, crypto AI. Maybe there's like an amalgamation of all these different technologies that have been going on. Right now, we have our first guest and truly, truly such an honor, David C. David, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, Charlie, great to be on your show. It's legendary. Legendary, you're more of the legendary person because of your background and some of the things that you've you've done. I just got involved in Bitcoin and I've been doing the show for forever. But But you, sir, I'm really interested in what you're doing. I was telling you earlier on, I, I just finished reading your white paper on being able to do like Bitcoin staking. And you you wrote it in a very interesting way. And what was interesting is if anyone wants to understand where the world is right now between Bitcoin, all the other projects in the space, and kind of the problem with connecting them, your white paper was such a perfect academic explanation of where that world is right now in the middle of 2023 and like how you aim to solve that. Yeah. So you know, connecting Bitcoin with the rest of the crypto ecosystem has always been my passion because, you know, Bitcoin is the first blockchain. It is the one that started this whole movement. But yet, right now, as we stand right now, rather isolated from the rest of the ecosystem. Yeah. So I think with the security, with the value of Bitcoin, it's just a shame that it's so isolated. and. So what we've been working on in the past few years have been trying to bridge the gap, so to speak. My listeners are highly familiar with the work that's been going on with the problem that you just described. And this has been a problem that's been worked on since Ethereum proved that smart contracts are what kind of people want to see in the future and have multiple transactional layers. And it's not just about smart contracts. It's about having more complicated types of transactions do more things other than person A sending a transaction to person B and, you know, and vice versa. The problem is, as we'll get into in a second, is a lot more complicated than just like identifying the problem and then trying to figure out a solution. You also need, and I'm going to ask you in a second, this question, 
what work do you need from the developer side of Bitcoin, if any, to be done any sorts of upgrades or changes to the Bitcoin software itself? Or can what you're proposing, can it work with the way Bitcoin works now in all of the the way in all of the, I guess, reverse compatibility for all of the Bitcoin softwares in the past? So like if someone has some Bitcoin from a couple of years ago, they don't have to worry about upgrading their software like they would have to upgrade their Ethereum software if they had some ETH from a couple of years ago. Before you answer that, I want to give a little bit of background because you're not new to this. You also, you're an inventor of a bunch of different type of like algorithms. You worked on assembly software to handle DNA and RNA sequencing data, which is used by researchers all over the world. You're a professor at Sanford. You're an electrical engineering expert. You're an advisor at Bain Capital Crypto. So you you understand the human genome, but how it applies to the to software as well, because physics, it's all energy and nature and math that all kind of works together. Now that I've given the background about you, what do you think of my question? Sorry, I had to, to do that. Yeah, I'm primarily a researcher and innovator. So I like to create new technology that solves real world problem. Now, Going back to your question about our innovation of Bitcoin staking, the very first uh, constraint we place on our solution is, is that it should not involve an upgrade of the Bitcoin scripting language. So if you look at the history of Bitcoin, Nakamoto, when he first came up with the Bitcoin scripting language, he actually had a bunch of quite a lot of opcodes in this language. And what happened was he found a bug in one of them. And as a result, he deleted a bunch yeah. in the very first beginning of the Bitcoin evolution. So therefore, the, the simplicity of the Bitcoin scripting language is a limitation, but it's also a very big strength of Bitcoin. It is what keeps it simple and secure. Okay, So I think that culture has to be respected in any innovation of Bitcoin on top of Bitcoin. And so we have always been thinking, is there interesting ways of innovating on Bitcoin while not requiring a soft fork or upgrade and adding an opcode? And so that was the very much a focus of our project. So no new opcode. Now, when there is no new opcode, what happens is that Bitcoin because of the primitiveness of the language, has a bit of a communication problem with the rest of the world, right? Because if your language is limited, then there's a limitation of how much you can understand. For example, a lot of people are now talking about zero-knowledge proofs technology, ZK, so-called ZK, okay? So ZK basically requires an external world to create a so-called validity proof, a proof that what it says is valid to the Bitcoin chain. But Bitcoin doesn't have the capability to understand this proof, to verify this proof. And so therefore, uh, we are now only on the early stage of bringing ZK into Bitcoin. So we have, our innovation is in a different direction, okay? It's not using ZK. However, it is using cryptography. Maybe I should talk a little bit about the Bitcoin staking problem. Is that Does that help your audience? I, I want to understand this further, but yes, yeah. let's start with the problem. Yeah, so you said, right? You said when you started this conversation, you said, hey, Ethereum allows smart contract more complicated than just A sends a Bitcoin to B, right? Sure. Okay. So it turns out that that primitive A sends one Bitcoin to B 
together with an additional opcode, which is a so-called time lock, yes. which is available on the Bitcoin chain. Those two primitive is enough to design to build a Bitcoin staking protocol. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. So I want to hear the solution, but let's talk more about the problem today that you see with Bitcoin staking. Yeah. So what is the problem here? So if you think about other chains like Ethereum, one of the very big use cases of proof of stake token like Ethereum token is staking. Staking now is almost a hundred billion dollar business. It's a huge business. And this arises primarily, not primarily, because of the proof of stake innovation. Okay. So if you compare Bitcoin with the uh, these other tokens, it is actually lacking this one very big use case, which is staking. So if you have Bitcoin nowadays, if you want to stake on, say, Ethereum or on Avalanche or on Solana, some other chain, then you have to go and sell your Bitcoin yeah. and convert it into these proof-of-stake assets and then do staking there. But you know, people hold Bitcoin, they don't really want to sell the Bitcoin because they have long-term growth potential, okay? So right now, Bitcoin doesn't have a staking, native staking capability. The big reason is because Bitcoin itself is a proof-of-work chain. So there's nothing to secure on the proof on Bitcoin. Yes. So the Bitcoin staking problem that we solved is essentially endow Bitcoin with this capability of providing staking on, on other chains, proof of stake chains. So that's the use case. Without you having to sell your Bitcoin or go and bridge your Bitcoin to some wrap BTC. That's, yeah. But just keep your Bitcoin natively on the Bitcoin chain, and then you can do that. Use use that to provide security, provide staking for other chains. So I understand the concept that you would time lock Bitcoin, and then through the other opcode, your it allows it to be like locked until then it can be unlocked. Once it's locked, you can then provide on other chains. You can provide some sort of like token variation of that. But before I get into that, I from what I understand about time lock, verif time lock, once you set a time, it can't be changed. So how does someone then withdraw? How do you how do you work with that? Yeah. So for an asset to be a staking asset, it has to have two properties. Okay. One is it should be locked for a certain period of time. That is you can't take it out anytime you want. Okay. You put a deposit down. And you're, it's a collateral. So you should not be able to yep. remove it anytime you want until the end of the staking period. Okay? So maybe you have a staking period of, say, six months, then you put a time lock for six months. Okay. However, a very important second property is that it is a collateral. So in other words, there is a bad behavior of the validator Okay, yep. that is voting on your behalf. Yes, It could be yourself. It could be someone else. If there's bad behavior, that collateral should be able to be removed. Someone should be able to remove that collateral and say, burn okay. it. Okay. So essentially, our technology allows us to do both of these things. The first one is already provided by the time lock opcode on the Bitcoin chain. The other one is now saying that, hey, this Bitcoin, which is putting this time lock, in Bitcoin scripting language, you can describe 
multiple ways in which this Bitcoin is spent. Okay. So the first way is the normal way. That is, after six months, then this Bitcoin can be withdrawn by the original staker, the one who has the Bitcoin, and then the Bitcoin can go back to his own address. Okay. That's the normal way. But there's another way, which is the way that there's a bad behavior, and that behavior will affect a spending of that Bitcoin or a fraction of that Bitcoin. And this is a so-called a slashing event, a slashing event. Okay. The challenge, though, is the following. The challenge is that this Bitcoin is always in a self-custodial manner. So in other words, only the staker can actually spend this Bitcoin. So now we have to find a way to say that, hey, if the validator is doing something bad on the proof-of-stake system, then we'll have to be able to force the staker to actually send this Bitcoin into a burn address for slashing. Okay. So this is where the cryptography comes in because the cryptography is what enables this slashing event to happen. Are there any centralized pain points that exist right now? In our protocol, no. No centralized pain point. Have you found any feedback? Where are you right now in, in building this out? Yes. So right now we, are, we have a MVP. We have an MVP. We will plan to launch a test net on the Bitcoin staking protocol by the end of the year. That's where we are. Wow. And the next year, we will launch the mainnet. We've been also talking to many Bitcoin holders to get the sense of the appetite of putting the Bitcoin on the, our protocol. And in fact, we already got some commitments from Bitcoin holders, particularly with miners who are interested in putting the Bitcoin to work. There, there's no doubt. We, you talk to, to, to millions of Bitcoin holders and the conversation probably is something like, hey, would you do something like this? And their response is, I don't want to wrap my Bitcoin. I don't want to bridge it or like do some sort of like cockamamie system where you're at risk of like another protocol. I mean, even ThorChain is pretty cool, but ThorChain has been hacked, I think, once or twice as there's been issues and things like that. You have to trust this other technology. But with here, if what I understand you correctly, you're actually just move, my Bitcoin is actually just moving into like a time lock address and everything can be verified of how it all works. And so therefore, the appetite is probably greater because their Bitcoin theoretically is not really leaving their control. Yes. So very importantly, everything can be cryptographically verified. In other words, it does not require the trust on a third party. Like, for example, if you wrap BTC, right, what happens is you, you send it to BitGo address and BitGo take custody of your Bitcoin. And then they create a, they mint wrap BTC on the other end, stay on Ethereum. The, our technology is nothing of the sort. It does not require a third party. Yes. So I think the philosophy here about a protocol is the following. If you want to take your Bitcoin, and move it to another chain and do whatever you want with it, then basically you need to do bridging, right? Basically you need to create an equivalent asset on the other side. However, for this particular use case, Bitcoin staking, which I think is a very important use case, you don't need all the flexibility of the bridging and so we can get by with a trustless solution. Personally, I've seen this as something that I've wanted to see happen for longer than five years, six years, seven years, a long time. 
And this is really a question that I don't know the answer to. What happened recently in the last year or two that more than, than like, this is honestly, what, what, when I read your white paper, I was blown away because we interview a lot of different projects. And I've invested in a few personally too, and through my fund that are attempting the same to figure out the same solution, a similar solution to like allow people to work with their Bitcoin without having to like go to a centralized place to do it. So I guess like, do you think it's a winner take all scenario? Or do you see like the future of multiple solutions like yourself and others winning out? Mm. Like, where do you kind of see this? And what happened in the last year or two that now you're so excited to work on this problem? So, you know, crypto has a very fast-paced evolution. But don't forget that proof of stake, okay? The technology of proof of stake is a pretty recent development. Proof of stake chains only launched in the past three or four years. And Ethereum, the biggest proof of stake chain, has only did a merge only a year ago. A year ago, exactly a year ago. Okay? So proof oh, of yeah, stake was is a, year ago. a pretty young technology compared to Bitcoin, for example, compared to proof of work. And so only now sort of people really understand sort of what proof of stake security really means, what staking really means, what slashing really means. So a lot of these are very new developments. And what we are doing here is to take advantage of these new developments and bring in the elements of Bitcoin and combine them into a single technology. So this could not have been done, I think, three or four years ago because there's a lot of new understanding of these technology in the past few years with the merge and everything else that's happening. Did Satoshi, you think, ever talk about or foresee proof of stake or something like the equivalent? I don't know about Satoshi themselves, but proof of stake is actually discussed in the early days of the Bitcoin talk forum, I believe. Yeah. In 2012 or 13 already, yes, if I remember correctly. I don't remember exactly the year, but very early on. There were conversations that Satoshi had in the early writings that he understood through like Namecoin or she or the group. And there were some other alternative projects that were happening at the time. But it's a very highly controversial topic that I don't want to go into on this episode. Although there's some episodes that we go into. But David, thank you so much for taking the time and teaching us about your solution and Babylon Chain. And I'm really excited. I'm going to go sign up your wait list for your testnet and check it out. And I and I urge my listeners to check it out too. I appreciate it. There was one other thing I needed to do. Sorry, take your time. Well, you don't need to be here for this, but I wanted to just thank some of the listeners for leaving reviews. Uh, Shooter McGavin, Zero Zero, Eskite Film, and Kettle One, and a few other people left reviews. Thank you guys so much this week. And David, I'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. As you guys heard on the show, I've been sim swapped twice. Like hackers went in when I was on Verizon one time and one other time when I was on AT&T and they took over my phone number. We're able to reset all the two-factor authentication. Luckily, I didn't have any crypto accounts attached to that, but they actually tried to use sim swapping and, and hold my wife's number hostage. It's crazy. Well, I've been on Ifani for a couple of years now and you guys have heard we've had Hasib on the show, the CEO of Ifani. Not only do you get an encrypted SIM card in the mail and you get to retain your same phone number for $99 a month, but you also benefit from military-grade security. 
You can choose and change anytime you want. You're on Verizon one day, you call them, they'll change you to AT&T or T-Mobile, anywhere in the world. You have a, a VIP person that you call and that person's the only one in charge of your number. No SIM swapper, no hacker. You don't have to deal with Verizon or AT&T or any of these companies ever again. Hifani is amazing. You get 11 layers of protection. The security is amazing. There's a $5 million insurance shield. So if something does happen, they protect you up to $5 million and you're getting your second month free. So all you have to do is go to ifani.com forward slash Charlie. That's E-F-A-N-I.com forward slash Charlie. No one else is getting this deal. You guys are getting a whole second month free. So it's like $50 per month. There's no, there's no better cell phone plan that's better than this. It's been a crazy, crazy year as we lean towards like the end of 2023. If you're looking for the pulse of crypto, pulse of the crypto universe and, the, and what's been going on in the Bitcoin world, you know you're in the right place here. But we have another awesome personality who doesn't just witness the waves, he rides them. Ashton Addison, you're the CEO and, and founder of the renowned Crypto Coin Show. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Charlie. It's uh, my honor and said to dive into 2023. And I don't know if it's been all that everyone's hoped it was. But I think that there's definitely been advancements in the industry and uh, some good things have come out of it. I feel like this year was a lot more fun than last year was. From, from playing with Unibots and FriendTech and all these kind of things that were happening, and at least from my point of view, witnessing more of the negative stuff and not being involved and in, in, you know, getting money stuck, at least 2023 was a, was a better year. But it's not over. We're kind of like getting into the fourth quarter now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what have you been? What have you been kind of focused on or working on the last couple of months? Yeah, so been working on a lot of the same stuff that I work on uh, since I started Crypto Coin Show in 2014, which is you know, my bread and butter is interviewing founders and startups and investors in the space, sort of get a firsthand glimpse on uh, what are the new projects that are being worked on. You know, what are the advancements of the best projects in how they're moving the blockchain industry forward and sort of following the narratives and seeing, you know, are they just uh, fads that will fade away or is this actual real advancements that are going to come into the industry? And there was definitely a few narratives, you know, when Bitcoin started exploding in in January, there was a few great narratives that were like, hey, you know, AI, this could be something that could integrate with blockchain uh, that could actually help blockchain and help both industries grow at the same time. Um, I think that the fad uh, was, you know, like everything, so it's pushed out of proportion. Um, and, but there, there definitely is some integrations that are happening with AI and blockchain, which I think will help both industries. Uh, but of course, there's always an opportunity to take advantage of uh, where there's, you know, throw AI in the name here and, and yeah. you know, pump that and then it sort of fades away after you know, Bitcoin sort of spurred out in, in spring and, and stopped its exponential rise. And then all of a sudden, the AI companies starting up with blockchain in the name weren't uh, as hot as they were. Uh, but that... You know, besides AI, also the ZK and the privacy efforts, I think those are uh, definitely something that is needed and will be valuable in the space. And um, it's not a fad, uh, but it's not something that can be done overnight to yeah, add course. more privacy into the blockchains. So those are two things from the start of the year. You know, there, there's a lot of other stuff that happened. But from January, that was what I was thinking is 2023 could be the year of AI and, and zero knowledge proof and increasing more privacy and adding more automation into blockchain. If we're taking the regulatory thing out and the macroeconomic world out, you're right. We saw a huge amount of like growth 
in just the backend infrastructure of, of crypto. We saw more like trading automation. We saw a, a, a huge amount of that. And um, kind of like because the spotlight was taken off, we were able to go and, and build out a lot more privacy technologies as well under like rollups and, and ZK snarks and, and all these different things. So I completely agree. It's almost like it was good as that spotlight was taken off. Yeah, no, it is good because it, it pushes away the, the fluff, right? And, and it's sort of like, you know, you and me have both been in the industry for many years. And as we see the credibility threshold of startups needs to increase for investors to actually uh, see them as viable. You know, back in, in 2017, you could have uh, a paper with no product. And, and a lot of people would still throw money at it because, you know, this is something new. Uh. And as, as people got burned, they realized, hey, maybe we should actually look for, you know, an MVP or product market fit or customers uh, before we start throwing our capital into something that has AI in the name. So you think the bar is, is, has been risen now? Like in terms of how, I guess, from a VC perspective, I can tell you 100%, we're not investing in things that are, that are just pieces of paper and decks anymore, especially if, they're tr- if they have any evaluation with the million dollar number in it, even if it's $1 million, you got to have something. But you're definitely seeing like, you're seeing the caliber of products and people coming onto the show and launching things better now in the second half of the year? I definitely, you know, compared to the last uh, bull run, I, oh, yeah. I see a major uh, improvement in the quality of projects and uh, the, the threshold for throwing capital in. Uh, but I think it also depends on the stage of the market. You know, when all of the cryptos are going crazy and, and, and the market is up only. Yeah. Uh, it, and that's what I am most interested in is, you know, the foundational elements uh, the service layer applications, uh, the networks that are being built that will host you know, the, the dApps that stick around after you know, the fads have passed. Uh, what are the underlying infrastructures? You know, I, I'm always looking for what's the next Microsoft uh, operating system or Apple you know, that's going to host a lot of this blockchain technology. And that's why I, you know, whenever there's some new product that just has one function, it's great, you know, but the, the chances of it innovating the entire industry aren't as high as an operating system that has the ability to yeah. host thousands of different kinds of applications. And I've actually seen that uh, with the, you know, the ZK trend that I was talking about in January, that I'm sort of seeing that uh, transforming a little bit into the modular blockchains and the layer three blockchains. Hmm. Throughout the early summer, I had a, quite a few different blockchain protocols come on the show that they are, you know, not only are they like scaling Ethereum, but also bringing in cross-chain interoperability and also bringing in the ZK and, and privacy layer into it. And it looks like that's something that's really promising. Yes. You know, and I, and I, I think the layer threes is sort of new in people's heads. Like what's layer one? What's layer two? What's layer three? But that's something that I've seen that I think is totally credible moving forward. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to pinpoint for the historians 50 years from now that are listening to this show looking back. This year was the year that the crypto natives got comfortable. And tell me if you disagree that this year was the year that we got comfortable adding additional chains to our MetaMask and playing mm-hmm. around with base or optimism or or like Arbitrum or different like we got mm-hmm. we understand we're understanding now how scaling and and layers and privacy are all working into it. Was this that? I think this was the year that that thought. 
yeah, I agree. Um, and you know, there there are a lot of different layer twos and layer threes potentially to add into your MetaMask, and it can get confusing, especially if you're not already deep involved in in DeFi. Yeah. Um, and, and and there's a few I think underlying uh, reasons why it's taken off, and a lot of it is, is is speculation. But I think out of that, it will grow into you know what sort of sticks around. Um, and Base is a great example of that. The you know the initial takeoff of, of Base, it launched, and the first two things to come out were you know this meme coin here and and yeah. there, Brian and Bald meme coin, which we saw some people on Twitter had had bought it and became millionaires overnight. And that, of course, generated huge interest for degenerate gamblers and speculators to, hey, we should start uh, bridging our funds into this layer two network because it could be the future. But right now, there's a lot of people making money. And I That's, think yeah. it, it, it's, you know, it's good and it's bad because it's, it's pushing innovation, but also it's Wild West where you know, if, if you don't know any better, you're going to move all your funds into something that eventually those same... Those same people that made millions, those same tokens ended up uh, rugging and like losing yeah. millions from the same people, and they didn't cash out. And and although the chain is still doing very well, it's doing uh, this base chain. Uh, it, although it's one of the newest, it's actually doing better than since Arbitrum Optimism in terms of the amount of funds in there. And even yeah. though you can't even withdraw from it right now, um, people don't care. They're like, hey, this is where the action is at. So we're gonna stick around and see if anything. Uh, fundamental and valuable comes out of this in the midterm long term. Yeah, I think people always thought that blockchains needed to launch kind of in a grassroots way, similar to that Bitcoin did. But then like BNB and Binance chain, Binance Smart Chain, which ended up just becoming Smart Chain, kind of proved out that you can have like a crypto company launch their own protocol and kind of support it. And that's what base is with Coinbase. There's like the difference is, for example, like their DAO doesn't just give money to everyone. They pick very specific, and they're trying to be a little bit better. At least I'm hearing from the VC side of things. But you're right. We've, we've definitely grown up. This was an important year that we needed so far. We're, we're, we're three quarters into it now. But it was definitely, and I'm excited to see what the holiday season kind of brings for us. I, again, I, like, I don't want to talk about the macro and regulatory world, but we've had to grow this year with a lot of pressure from the regulatory world and the macro world. I mean, the rates and the regulations and the arrests and the bankruptcies and everything that happened this year created a lot of headwinds for mm -hmm. us. And then in spite of that, there's still been a huge amount of growth in the industry. Yeah, you're right. It's it's amazing to see that you know the the true people that are have their heads down building are for the most part remaining unfazed by it. But most people who have been in in the legal industry know that Whenever there's uh, an incident or a lawsuit, it's not something that gets solved overnight, you know. Yeah. And we're still seeing even the exchanges that had incidents five years ago. That's still playing out. Never mind 2022, which was a crazy year. It takes time. It takes time. You know, speaking of like rise and falls, we've seen uh, we've seen like crypto media, you know, rise and fall. We've seen CoinDesk be on the verge of bankruptcy and people are trying to like buy it out all the time. And it's like, I don't know if it has ever been profitable or whatever. And the real, the, the, our industry is really our podcasters. There's like a dozen or so, you, me and others that uh, we're like the last independent media. And we, uh, it allows us to like focus more on the context and the narrative as opposed to like the short term gains that media has to clickbait, you know, it's not their fault, but they have to like create these like 
clickbaity titles and articles and focus on like the Tamagotchi and the fur babies as opposed to we can focus on, we have the longer shows and everything like that. How long have you been doing your show? Yeah, 2014 was the, the first episode. Holy crap. We've, we've done about 1,300 interviews uh, and videos. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, you know, it's been a long road and we still have the same vision that, that we had when we initially set out. We saw the potential for the blockchain industry to revolutionize you know, not just money and the finance industry, but all industries that either do transactions or have data, which is every industry. So we wanted to provide a voice for those companies that were building innovations that would transform these different industries. And that's why we're sort of taking the, you know, the high road or the long approach. And let's get the founders here to have the discussion about how they're actually innovating. Hear it straight from them in you know, how we're going to change the, the yeah. world. It's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And we understand that. You've been podcasting for almost 10 years. How does that feel? feels amazing. You know, hopefully we've made a difference. Um, you have. Had I'm at a, year five. Lot, yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've had a lot of products on that, that have become unicorns and are still sticking around today. And there's a lot that, that died. And, you know, a lot of it probably wasn't their fault. Some of it was. Um, but that's just the way that, that these businesses go. And I think it's that a lot of the crypto companies right now, they're realizing, just as you said with CoinDesk, it's hard to have a profitable, you know, when, when you're in the bull market, you see, oh, you know, whatever, it's so easy. You don't even need to do anything. But the money's just making itself with the company. And then when you realize that there's a, a four-year cycle in between those bull runs, you know, how do you manage the, the burn rate, make sure that, you know, you're able to pay the employees and still have a profitable company consistently, you know? You're giving advice to your guests who are starting out these new companies. They look to you, I guess, and they kind of come on the show and they, we, I've seen this, I've seen the ups and downs, I've seen these trends, I've seen these waves. This is where I think things, you know, will go or should go. And you probably give a lot of really cool advice to people. Talk to me about the evolution of your podcast and how it's changed. And so we can kind of look, see into the future a little bit. Yeah, you know, I sort of put my investor cap on uh, sometimes when I, you know, I, I see which projects come on the show and uh, years back yeah. and, and they're still here and look back and say, hey, what made those companies still stick around and continue to grow despite bear market or bull market? Um, and I, I sort of, you know, I like asking the tough questions, not to be too tough, but you know, there's people that are putting their heart and capital into these companies to help them, you know, and the founders have some kind of diligence to the investors to say, you know, to follow through on you know, if they're going to give them capital, they want to return more of it. So I sort of like to throw a, some investor-related questions like, how is the company sustainable? You know, how are you actually, do you actually have customers? How are you going to make it through a bear market? Um, how are you going to make sure if this is a, a Web3 game, how are you going to make sure it just doesn't have a fad when it comes out uh, and then it dies a month later? You know, how do you actually have something beyond the hype of the word blockchain? And I can give as much advice as I, as I can just based on what I've heard from other companies. Uh, but I just, you know, I, I like hearing the thought process of the founders when they come on in their seed stage. And then I, I like to follow up with them as well, you know, do quarterly videos or every six yeah. months to see like, have you continued on with what you said or did you pivot? And it's totally fine have you, as well. Uh, have you had the ability to have like a relationship with your audience in any way? Um, yeah, we, we do. And, you know, we are also continuing to grow in different ways and can continue to engage with newsletter, shorts, um, social posts. Um, 
I think it's a, a balance of trying, you know, for, for the independent podcasters and the influencers, yeah. trying to balance having fundamentals and long-term insight with things that are exciting. You know, when, sometimes when you have an interview with a startup, nobody knows whether it's going to become a unicorn or not. And, and most people are just like, I want a quick return right yeah. now. You know, I want, you know, and, and, and they don't want to have to siphon through uh, a startup that, you know, could fail. They just want to be like, they just want to see, you know, the big mouth influencer with like leverage 100x, you know, we're going to the moon tomorrow, you know? So it's like, how do the people that actually have uh, news publications that are focused on just the fundamentals, you know, pushing out the fluff, um, attract more audience um, and, and, and get people to understand that, you know, just like investing in the stock market, if you invest uh, with a one-week horizon, you know, it's a 50-50 that it's going to go up or down. But if you look in a 10-year horizon, uh, the chances of being up is like 80 plus percent. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be the same for, for, for blockchain. I never really thought about it that way. And I think a lot of people haven't. Ashton, how can my listeners find your show? Crypto Coin Show on YouTube, youtube.com slash Crypto Coin Show. And also our newsletter, which is uh, cryptocoinshow.substack.com. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Charlie. Stuart Ballard. Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're the chairman and CEO of Fly Air, which is a super cool company. We'll talk about it in a second. You're not only a key figure in the aviation and blockchain industry, but you're also a music producer, writer, and composer, fluent in, in 13 instruments. You're an audiophile. You've worked with huge names like Dr. Dre, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, and Neo. And now you're here in the aviation industry, combining crypto and blockchain with Fly Air. You have like a very diverse background from music production to aviation and now blockchain. What prompted you to kind of like dive in and start Fly Air? Uh, thank you, Charlie. It's great to be on. And thank you for introducing me. It was two things that happened, two experiences in my life. And it's funny that you said diverse and interesting life that I've done. When I was in the music industry and we were going through, it was kind of like physical to digital sales. And there was the digital age when there's file sharing that was going on. And what I've realized is producing music, we've had these old recording contracts. It was about producing volume of music albums. Interesting. Uh, we're, now, we're now to the days where we produce one song at a time. It's that industry that we've gone back into the 60s, where back in the days before our time, Charlie, is that you put a, a, a nickel in the jukebox and you listen to one song. That's what I consider the iTunes and all these files that, you know, search and discovery. The industry has now gone to listening to one song at a time or choosing one song with yeah, their search and discovery. And with that file sharing incident, our elders, the people that, you know, we looked up to in the music industry, our executives did not embrace the digital transfer. They were 100% sure that physical sales was going to outpace digital sales and that their infrastructure was going to be the, you know, the same and it wasn't going to change. If anything, digital was just going to be like an additive and an, an additional revenue yeah. stream or interest. And that was the first shock for us. I mean, we missed out big time. The music industry lost billions and billions of dollars because of that. And for me personally, 
you know, I was I was always like the tech guy with Dr. Dre over at Aftermath, who was always into the, you know, production and uh, programming and, and doing things with automation. And then I started getting into things where I realized that this is going to be really, it's no longer going to be fun for us. It's going to be some serious work that we have to really right. do to make this transformation. Then I made this transition when Dre went into OEM for headphones. He left us in the studios and we were like, you know, recording and, you know, producing and we were running the studios and the and artists and things. And we all followed suit. We started going towards our other passions. That's when I made that transition into aviation. I went to Van Nuys Airport and I was like, I fell in love with, with aviation as, as a pilot because my father was a retired Air Force pilot. He's, he was in the service for all his years. And, and my mom used to drop me off at the airbase every day. If I wasn't at the Pittsburgh Symphony Youth Program learning music, I was being dropped off at my dad's air, uh, work so I could spend time with him. And it was, uh, I, I, it came back to me, uh, Charlie. It was like, wow, I love aviation. And so I wanted to get back into it. I love uh, that. Full into it. Um, you know, I was passionate about music and I was very good at it. Um, so my parents, you know, they pushed me into music. Um, my father wanted me to be an Air Force. Uh, he wanted me to be a pilot. And I blew off uh, this, this civil aviation patrol um, when I was 16. I just totally blew it off because I was so into music. But now I'm older. I just like I just had that epiphany. I was like, wow, I love I love aviation. I think this is a, an entry for me. And it's something that I could do. And then I can actually do music as passive. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I started and, and, and I went to flight school. I did all the training. I was type, I got type rated mid-size jet down from oh, Citation wow. 10, Piaggio P180 Avanti 2, Challenger Series, and also a Pilatus PC-12. And the reason why I became a pilot was because I was looking for another business to endeavor into. And then what I did was, you know, a friend of mine said, to know the business of aviation, you should become a pilot because a pilot understands, you know, all realms of the business from sure. aircraft management, services, charter, acquisitions. And then you get to, you know, fly with the clients. You know, I mean, it was a big, it was a big thing for me. And then what happened, Charlie, was I was back at the music uh, labels, visiting some old friends, and they told me, what do you, what? What do you know about blockchain? And I was like, and this was back in 2017. So Charlie, I came in late, very yeah, late. It's not that late. It's early I was a for newbie. Most people. Oh yeah, it's early for most people. You know, we're 15 years in it, right? As a, a, as, as you would not. call, right? And I mean, but a pair, you know. So I was just like to my uh, music executives, I said, I don't know about blockchain, but what's it? What what do you know about it? And they said, <laughs> well. The folks down the hall, the younger guys, they're they're into blockchain and they're talking about that it's like the next endeavor and things like that. And we we should take a look at digital rights management, right? For for songs and and songwriting and and IP. And so I said, wow, I'm gonna find this stuff out. So what I did is I went to San Diego. I went to some of my friends. My friends introduced me to some blockchain. I say OGs, as you would yeah. call it. You are friends and my friends, as you would say. And these blockchain OGs were like, you know, Stu, we're, we're doing this, this 
solution for aviation. And we want to uh, build, you know, blockchain solutions in in every way. And we wanted to do software integration. So immediately, I partnered up with some good friends of yours and uh, mine, and we 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 created a company called Airtherium at the at the beginning, and then we turned it into Fly Air. We built a with my my background in coding and programming, and my background in artificial intelligence. I was able to create an application that allows a customer or a client to essentially book private flights on demand using voice integration, and then they can settle their payments traditionally through credit card or wire, but also to uh, settle their payments through cryptocurrencies. And then we went further to even go into creating a digital uh, asset class in a uh, utility called the Fly Token. So it was really cool that we built, you know, got into this because I felt like this is the second age of of our industry, digital transfer of the industry. You know, it was kind of like, you know, the the age of the internet uh, coming again, right? And then we have file transfers from physical sales, physical to digital. And then now we have blockchain that allows all types of infrastructures with cryptography. So that that's kind of like the idea of it. Private aviation has just been so off limits for so many people for so long, but it seems like because you know every aspect of the industry and you can kind of connect all the different pieces and offer like white glove services at the same time, you can keep costs very low, but you're also what like incentivizing loyalty at the same time? Absolutely. Private aviation throughout the years that I was doing charter, the loyalty went away. There was all these membership programs, um, jet cards programs, but brokers that uh, got into the industry from, you know, 2008 till to these days started, I would say, taking the industry by storm, by padding the flights with, with their extra costs onto the flights. And customers weren't getting real hard costs on, on operations and flights. And then once brokers started getting into it, clients started getting involved in just switching from aviation company to aviation company. So they can actually get some real transparency. Yeah. So they could get some real, you know, costs and get real services that they could that they would always wanted and expected. So what we've done is created a an ability to give a client a, a window, a direct window using the application uh, directly to all the fixed space operators around the globe. No matter where you are, we can pinpoint within your air zone, your flight requests within that 25 mile zone, we can actually identify an aircraft uh, that fits your your very needs and then connects you to them. Ah, very interesting. So that with connecting them to that, that's kind of the first part was just the transparency. And then the second part was that we've been able to create a loyalty program around that base. I copied the American Airlines. Yeah. It's the most used fly mile credit, as you would say. And it's went into everything to credit cards where you get points. So with Fly Air, every time you fly with us, you receive fly miles. And these fly miles are within a token, an ERC, a 20 utility token called Very the fly cool. token. And what happens is every time you fly based on your nautical mile range and the pricing, you get tokens given to you and which those tokens, you could use them to offset your future flight costs using the fly tokens to add to your flights. I'm just so curious why private jet 
companies have stopped doing loyalty a couple of years ago? I don't know what happened. I think private jet companies had two things going on. First is like what was going on in their own backyard, basically servicing. I would also attribute pandemic to it as well. It was something that years within the past four years, there was fixed base operators that were really paying attention to, well, you know, demand is down so we can actually go and fix our aircrafts and put them in maintenance. So once the airways start opening back up, uh, we had increase in demand and flights, but aircrafts were still in the hangar being repaired or or being wait, waited to be paid for so their aircrafts could be released to go back on, on deck for flights. So there was a, a huge increase of a request for flights. Our customer base also grew traditionally and with blockchain space because clients also started thinking about, okay, not only the, you know, how are they going to travel, but other travel options. So we've found out that there's been like a new generation of of clientele um, on both sides that have leaned from commercial first class flights or business class flights to actually look towards private flights and and then the other thing was the industry in the private jet side started doing shared group flights. So yes. that's another component that we did was we created a group flight com- component where, you, you know, you, me, our families, our friends can actually get on the same flight and go and pay for our own seat. So you're not paying for the whole private jet. Each one is paying for a portion of the jet by flying on it, paying for their seat. I noticed that at like Bitcoin and crypto conferences, you guys are like putting together flights from all over all over the world, really. It's kind of cool, like from Puerto Rico and Miami and California. So it's kind of cool yes. to see because your token holders, you know, in the future crypto world, people are holding NFTs, they're holding tokens, but now they're also holding their loyalty tokens. You could map shared flights based on that. Like you could you can reach out to token holders and say, hey, there's one seat left to finish this flight. Do you want it? Like there's a whole relationship mapping that you can do now. 100%. It solved solved two things. Well, in the private jet side, there's something called empty legs that everybody was looking for. It was kind of like there was a lot of one-way trips that were booked and then fixed base operators wanted to get their their aircraft back home, return to base. And so they offer up these empty legs. And it was very hard for them to do that because clients didn't want to do, you know, just get on any empty leg. But the second thing that happened was what we found out during the pandemic, I would say, again, is that like-minded folks like you and I would go to different conferences that we we shared business interests in, right? Or experience interests. So we've you know, started going after, you know, these conference organizers like Bitcoin, blockchain conferences, different uh, sports conferences like F1, art conferences like Art Basel in Miami. And then the entertainment uh, side, we did uh, Sundance Film Festival and things like that, which were like-minded folks would get together and say, hey, we're, we're all going to Miami for Art Basel. Who wants to get on a flight together? And then again, just like you said, uh, we did, you know, flights from uh, Miami to Puerto Rico for crypto conferences in Puerto Rico. And so people that were in in Miami for the Art Basel conference, we arranged group flights for clients to actually go from Miami to Puerto Rico. And it was it was a true success. It was a good revealer of another business model. 
And it also put like-minded folk together to fly together, share their experiences together. And we found out that that was a win situation. I really love that. So what's the future now? Where do you see the company going forward? I see the future that the company is going, going forward with integration into other verticals using blockchain and cryptography. There's always been things that, you know, charter is one thing, but we've been looking at what fractional ownerships with aircrafts mm-hmm. are. Uh, we were looking at aircraft owners of aircrafts that want to offset their costs. If they fly 30 hours a year or 40 or 50 or 100 hours a year, and a traditional aircraft can usually flies 500 hours a year. And when if you're not flying those up hours with the aircraft, In the downtime on the aircraft, that means there's a lot of costs from services, maintenance to just not even revenue. So there's aircraft owners that are looking to offset their costs by putting their aircrafts on a charter. And so we offer that up as well with doing offset costs. The other growth vertical that we've also looked at is what our carbon emissions are doing. So what we've been able to do is essentially take flight configurations, weight, engine, class, what type of fuel, amount of fuel that's been burned and the travel, and then create the formula that gives you a metric tonnage for per flight. And what happened and what we've done was able to put that on chain is that metric tonnage on chain and then be able to send that on-chain to a Vera and Gold Standard registry where clients can see that their money that they've used for chartering a flight, a small portion of that is being serviced for the, the offset of carbon that they that they use. Oh, very interesting. And so we've been able to acceptably do that. So we see even future abilities to put not only like carbon offsets on-chain, We've seen that we can do fuel, we yeah. can do air, aircraft tracking, not only tail number tracking, but tracking of assets of parts, which is, uh, I would it's say, supply parts, chain. Parts, supply yeah. chain. Yeah. So the supply chain, Charlie, is still on paper trail. I mean, every part that's being sent has, has some type of paper trail that goes with it. You know, they're finally starting to get into emails, sending PDFs, you know, over with, with documents of the paper trail of the parts. We, so, we all know, yeah, it's, it's going to be slow when these things happen, but we know that they're going to end up using this technology because it's a lot better. So you might as well build it you can now and then knowing that they're going to come, especially with these industries that just change so slowly. You're 100% right. So we felt like, you know, it's a great risk to, and when I say risk, it's like everything you do is uh, when you're looking to, towards the future, they consider, well, what's the risk value of it? Like, what is, you know, what is going to help the community? What is going to help the aviation industry? And we think that be able to move forward in building out these infrastructures and be an example, right? And and this is the same way that I look back into the music industry is, you know, we create product, we test it in the, in the radio record pools and the radio pools. And then the radio basically blasts it out to the community and the community chooses, you know, how good you are. It's the same thing with with the industry we are in aviation. We feel like we can build something that's very solid and we can introduce it to the aviation community. The aviation community uses it and then basically the community feels very comfortable with it. It's just like a a phone. Nobody knows how the phone works. But yeah, it takes time. But 
you know, people I like, like a pragmatic approach to that. Yes. I mean, it's like a phone. I mean, I think that when you build technology and solutions, especially in aviation, the FAA, Department of Transportation, they're very, they're all about safety. That's the big first thing. And then Department of Transportation is always worried about clients, like where, you know, their safety and their, their finance, you know, their, how they can protect clients' funds and things like that. So I believe that, you know, blockchain could be able to help in these, these manners. And that's why we would build it. And just like a uh, use of a cell phone, you know, we all have cell phones, but 99% of us don't know how they operate within the cell phone. All we want to know, all we want to know is that we can make a phone call, we can send yeah. messages and, we and we're here. We trust yeah. it. So that's how I look at how we are, in, you know, implicate, I mean, basically. Well, we all fly planes, but we don't know how yeah. they work. Exactly. Most exactly. people don't know that planes are just falling out of the sky constantly. That's like, <laughs> they wouldn't, they couldn't tell you when you're landing a plane that really, hey, we're just going to fall slower now. <laughs> but I, I commend you because I tried to get my pilot's license. I did like 20 hours, but I, I really enjoy it. But I was really young. I was like 18 or 19 when I did this. Maybe I should okay. try to get but I remember like when it was time to practice stalling out, freaked me out. Like, right. like the idea of like having to, I was learning on like a 172P. Cessna. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And I remember like him literally pulling the key out and saying, all right, like restart. And, and then I have to do this on my own one day. I, it's scaring me. Like I, mm. and mm. so that freaked me. So I, hats, I think it's like a personality trait of some people are willing to like go over the cliff and look over. And then some people like me are willing to podcast about it. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so I, much. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate you. And uh, you're doing amazing work. Um, I follow you all the time. And it, it's, it's a pleasure to be your friend. In a world of digital vulnerabilities, safeguarding your phone number and your phone is paramount. With Ifani, you're armored with an encrypted SIM card with military-grade security, And here's something special for the listeners of The Charlie Shrem Show. You get a whole second month for free. So you sign up for one month, you get your second month free only at ifani.com forward slash Charlie or use the coupon code Charlie. We'll have it in the show notes. Fortify your phone the Charlie Shrem way. Stay shielded. And until our next episode, keep your tails vibrant.